Sewer Ninjas is dedicated to solving your home sewer issues with the latest no-dig sewer repair technology to minimize cost and disruption. They can repair your sewer lateral line with minimal intrusion, saving you thousands. When you need help, turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give Sewer Ninjas a call, 414-250-8605. Once again, that's 414-250-8605. Find out more at SewerNinjas.com. The Jordan Love era is underway in Green Bay after a successful win yesterday down in Chicago. The Badgers, the only ones that are in need of blame in Madison are the adults in the room. We'll talk about that. And the Brewers lose a heartbreaker in extra innings, but come away with the series as they wrap things up in New York before coming back here to American Family Field. We'll talk all about that and more on this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Sewer Ninjas. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in. It's another edition of the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Sewer Ninjas. Our thanks to Sewer Ninjas, as always, for being our presenting sponsor. Find out everything you need to know about that fine company at SewerNinjas.com. Of course, we'll have to start this podcast with the Green Bay Packers in their win over the Chicago Bears. No need to ask Chicago who their daddy is because Green Bay rolled into Soldier Field and came away with an impressive 38-20 to victory. The crazy thing about it, for those of you who watched and you you hearkened back to how the first half was going, it was a 10-6 game going into intermission. A late field goal gives the Packers a four-point lead, and they come out in the second half like gangbusters. And it all fell on the shoulders of Aaron Jones. Everybody was wondering why wasn't Aaron Jones utilized more. Uh, Matt LaFleur talking uh, to the to the crew there from Fox at halftime saying essentially the same thing. We've got to get him more involved. And they sure did that in the second half. Jordan Love in his, we'll call it his debut. He started once before when Aaron Rodgers was injured, but now this is his team. He'll go 15 of 27 for 245 yards. And three TDs. He's the first quarterback this year to throw four three TDs. And he played a very smart, intelligent ball game. There were times, yes, he missed some throws. There were a couple of throws, I think, that were aimed for the back shoulder that he didn't necessarily hit, overthrew his receivers a couple of times. Was it a perfect game? No. But he didn't make the big mistakes that could have cost the Packers some some sort of field position or momentum swing. 
however you want to phrase it. Justin Fields goes 24 of 37 for 216. He gets a touchdown, but also an interception. And again, the player of the day with regards to the Packers was Aaron Jones. He'll go nine carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. He also led on the receiving side of things with two receptions, 486 yards, and he was definitely the turning point for Green Bay and catapulting themselves to, again, that 18-point victory. When you look at it from a team statistical standpoint, there aren't a whole lot of variations between the Packers and the Bears. The difference was the Packers got impressive defensive stops when they needed it, and they did not turn the ball over. So the Packers will finish with 329 yards, Chicago 311. First downs, Chicago actually got more first downs than the Packers, 22-15, to 15, and held the ball longer, not by much, a little over a minute as far as time of possession went, but it was the turnovers which then created a momentum swing in this contest and gave the Packers, again, a very, very impressive victory. Now, going into this season, the question mark obviously was, Jordan Love, what would happen now that he assumes the role as the leader on this team? And as we've talked about before on this podcast, this team now has gone heavy on defense over the last few years, and you could see it today. That defense has got all pro caliber level players at every single position. At every single position, you have the potential for all pro caliber players on this Packer team when we're talking about the starters. So the idea is what? You get an, you get a running attack. I'm going to jump back on the offensive side. You get a running attack with the likes of Aaron Jones and the others that handle the pill when it's being handed to them. You've got a defensive side of the ball, as I just said, that has got star power from top to bottom, and you keep the game closed. And if you can keep it close and you get somebody like Jordan Love who's not going to make mistakes, this team then has the potential to make some noise once we get to playoff time. Romeo Dobbs, despite that uh, hamstring tweak, and what is it with the Packers and hamstrings, Aaron? Joan tweaks a hamstring there in the, uh, what was it, late third quarter, early fourth quarter that he ended up going to the bench. It was in the third quarter when he did it and sat the remainder of the game after having some really, really impressive output, as we just talked about. Romeo Dobbs was questionable coming into today's game because of a hamstring. Something's up there in Green Bay. I don't know what. I don't know what the training staff is doing, not doing, but the rash of hamstring injuries is something that's going to be addressed because we're beyond the coincidence, Mark. You get a couple of guys who get a hamstring injury, you're like, yeah, bad coincidence, tough time of the year heading into the first week. You you can put whatever, I, I don't want to call them excuses, rationale behind it, but the rash of hamstring injuries on this team I think states there's a problem. Now what it is, how you fix it, I don't know. That's beyond my pay grade, and that's where the training staff comes into play, but it definitely is something that's going to need to be addressed. The other welcome surprise for the Green Bay Packers was Anders Carlson, the new kicker. 
uh, his 52-year, 52-year, 52-yard field goal, as well as being perfect on his extra point attempts, was welcome because we know during the preseason there were some kicks missed, there were some question marks. Do we need to go elsewhere? And the Packers stuck with him, and he was true to form today when push came to shove. So there were a lot of elements in this Packer game against the Bears that went very, very well. Now, here's the one thing I will say, and it's rearing its ugly head again, and that is the unsportsmanlike calls against this Packer defense. If you remember at the end of last year, in that game against Detroit, we had a number of really silly unsportsmanlike calls in the midst of that Lions game when they were fighting to try and get into the playoffs that eventually ended up costing them any chance at victory, giving the Lions not only momentum but great field position. We don't need to go back and revisit that. Today we saw three unsportsmanlike penalties against Green Bay's defense that in a game that would have been closer could have had a greater impact. And so in the midst of the talent that resides on the defensive side of the ball, it's okay to be confident. I I won't go to arrogant. It's okay to be confident. It's okay to pound your chest. You need that in this game in playing the positions that they're playing, but you can't continue to make these silly fouls, these unsportsmanlike fouls that can give a team momentum, that can keep drives alive, that can put your offense in the hole if you end up with the ball, whatever the case may be. And again, it's going to be something that really needs to be addressed as we head into week two. This cannot continue because if you find yourself in a close game, the last thing you want again is like what we saw, as I was alluding to last year, against the Lions. You don't want to see that thing rearing its ugly head and costing you an opportunity for a victory. But all of that can be corrected and corrected in a fashion that is um, much more pleasant that the Packers got off to such a great start. The NFL is back. There were a bunch of crazy games. Uh, If you watched yesterday, if you followed in the paper or on your computer, your laptop, whatever the case may be, there were some surprises. I know off the top of my head I I was shocked and how poorly Pittsburgh played against San Francisco. I would have thought Pittsburgh would have put up a greater fight than what they did. There were a few of them that you went, yeah, I kind of figured that was going to happen. That Denver-Vegas game, uh, a low-scoring affair out there in Vegas, a little surprised by that. So it's only week one. There's a ton of football to be played. It will be overanalyzed and overhyped as everything always is, but at least we can say in Green Bay the Jordan Love era got off to a good start as he and the Green Bay Packers are now 1-0 as they get ready to take on the Atlanta Falcons next week. A team that didn't play very well from our state, that was the Wisconsin Badgers. We'll get into some Badger football here after we take a quick time out.
Badger fiasco that took place Saturday night as they went out to play Washington State, and Washington State will come away with the 31-22 victory. And there's going to be a lot of people, and there has been a ton out there that have blamed the referees as far as how this contest ended up. And yes, I agree to an extent the Badgers got screwed on a potential safety call, which could have absolutely flipped the tables on this game. But it wasn't that situation for me that did it. I mean, James Thompson Jr., he had Cameron Ward by every angle that we were shown by everything we've seen from camera angles uh, with social media, that again, that he had him dead to right in the end zone, which should have been a safety. But again, it wasn't that for me that did it. It was the adults in the room in Wisconsin. It was the coaching staff in Wisconsin that cost the Badgers this victory. That team looked out of sync, out of character, unprepared, unable to make adjustments on the fly, all of that goes to the coordinators. So Mike Tressel defensively saw his team give up 24 points in the first half. Now, a credit, though, to Tressel and his staff that at halftime they made the adjustments and held Washington State to only seven points in the second half. And the same thing could be said for Phil Longo, who looked completely out of sorts in whatever he was dialing up offensively as the Badgers scored nine points in the first half, but then played a magnificent third quarter in which they scored 13, but then again got to the fourth quarter and they had no rhythm. The identity of this offense is yet to be had. There, there is no way that the identity of this offense has found its footing yet. I know it's supposed to be an air raid offense, and air raid offenses are about putting the ball in the air, but Phil Longo has inherited two of the best running backs in all of college football in Ches Malusi and Braylon Allen. And yet, when you look at the stat sheet, combined Ches and Braylon only carried the ball 19 times and combined for just shy of 70 yards. They had 69 yards combined. There is nothing wrong with throwing the football. And matter of fact, Tanner Mordecai, I thought, played a pretty good game. Yes, he missed a couple of throws. All quarterbacks do. Tanner was 25 of 40 for 278. Threw a touchdown. We didn't have any interceptions. He played a decent game. But offensively, again, this team had no rhythm except for the third quarter. The third quarter was spectacular. And the adjustments that Washington State made, I find hard to believe, were enough to really take the Badgers out of the momentum that they had garnered within that third quarter. If you guys remember, we get into the fourth quarter on Saturday night, still down two. Washington State is forced to punt. The Badgers get a nice return, go into Cougar territory, but a personal foul pushes it back 15, and at that moment when they went to the other side of the 50, 
suddenly whatever momentum Wisconsin had was gone. Washington State picked it back up and came away with an impressive home win. Now, Washington State's playing for their proverbial lives. You've got a Pac-12, which essentially now only has two members. Even though the Pac-12 is intact this year, in the coming years, you only have Washington State and Oregon State. So they're essentially auditioning for, whether it's the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC, Big 12, they're auditioning for acceptance into one of those power conferences. What's crazy is the Pac-12 has an automatic bid into what will be the college football championship. So if I'm Oregon State, if I'm Washington State, who do we bring in because we have an automatic bid? Now, you may have heard during the telecast or may have heard uh, we had uh, the story told to us um, on the Journey House College Sports Show Friday night on 97.3 The Game that litigation now is taking place because Washington State and Oregon State are pretty much saying, you know, we're making decisions for our future, and those decisions right now are involving the likes of USC, UCLA, and the others who have decided to leave. So why are, why are we allowing them to make decisions on what our future is going to be when they're not even going to be a part of it? So the litigation that will take place there will be fascinating as this thing moves forward. But what I'm getting at is they played with a sense of urgency that the Badgers still haven't found yet. They were faster. They were more physical. And as I said, essentially had better schemes going into this particular contest. And I tweeted this out on Saturday night. This was a Badger team who lost in those aspects that I just described. And we're not talking about Georgia or Texas or Alabama. We're talking about Washington State. So you're trying to tell me that Washington State, a team that is trying to survive essentially in a conference that is getting ready to just implode, has better athletes, they can scheme better. It just, it, it something didn't fit. Something didn't fit. And I know they were on the road, that being the Badgers. And I know playing on the road is tough, but some, something was amiss there. Listen, going into this season, you would love to believe that you would win every single game. Teams go out to try and win every single game, right? It, but we know that the Badgers, that wasn't going to necessarily be the case. If what I saw Saturday was against Ohio State, as much as the pill would be hard to swallow, I'd go, okay, it's Ohio State. If what I saw Saturday again was against the likes of Texas or Alabama, I'd go, okay, yeah, I get it. But it was Washington State. And that, to me, is where the problem lies. You have to develop an identity with the players that you have. Now, for Luke Fickle and his staff, it might take next year or the year after when they recruit the type of athletes that they want to play the system that they want. Absolutely. I completely understand that. But you have to take a look at the players that you have and adjust your system accordingly. Again, to have two of the best running backs in all of football 
and to only get them a combined 19 carries, I have an issue with that. I have an issue again with the fact that our offensive line isn't the offensive lines of the past that we we know of. You know, one of the things at Wisconsin, Wisconsin was always noted for that offensive line, which is why the running game was always so good. That offensive line was a bit slow, and they couldn't match the physicality of what Washington State was bringing. And I'm sorry, I know publicly they'll say that with the backup center in play, that those snaps are exactly how they're supposed to be, but you can't tell me a snap that floats the way they do it right now in its current um, incarnation, the way that ball is floating back to Tanner Mordecai without any pop to it, that split second, that tick of a second, isn't allowing those defenders just enough to disrupt some things. I It just... Something needs to be fixed now. Okay, we've we've got uh, a game coming up in which, yes, the Badgers should win. It shouldn't be a problem. There should be no reason why uh, Saturday at Camp Randall, they go ahead and fix what needs to be fixed. But then you've got to get into the Big Ten. And Washington State is of, you know, the, the lower half of the Big Ten. And if you're struggling that mightily, against a quarterback who who found more ways than not to either beat you with his arm or with his feet and his maneuverability, his athleticism, this is going to be a long year. And I did not expect what I saw Saturday night coming from this current incarnation of the Wisconsin Badgers. I expected a whole lot more. Again, not not expecting the fact that they would win every single game, and I did not think – for any reason this year that the Badgers would be playing for a national championship. There'd have to be too many things that fall into place for anything remotely close to that happening. But what I didn't expect to see was a team in the first half that just looked completely lost. They looked like they had prepared for the University of Washington and not Washington State University. It, it just looked completely haphazard. And that, again, to me, is not on the players. That's on the adults in the room. And the adults in the room got to figure some things out because otherwise you thought last year was interesting. This year could get interesting in a heartbeat. Thankfully, it's only week two. Got a lot of football to play, and let's hope the Badgers can correct it. Okay, with that, let's end on a slightly positive note as the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater in a big Division Three game this past weekend, a top-10 matchup against St. John's in Minnesota. They come away with the victory. And the other impressive thing that Whitewater has had going for them for years now is the way the community, the school, you name it, supports them. 16,000-plus on hand Saturday to see Whitewater in that top-10 early-season non-conference matchup there um it's just it's an awesome story and i think uh more people really need to kind of take a peek at what we got going here in the state of wisconsin as far as division three football goes because right now you had four teams going into the weekend that were ranked in the top 25 suffice to say i think we'll still have four 
once the polls come out later today or tomorrow at the Division Three level. But congratulations to Whitewater, who kind of kept our sanity as far as college football went over the weekend. Last segment coming up after this commercial from Sewer Ninjas as we'll talk some Major League Baseball and our Milwaukee Brewers. We'll do that in just a sec. Sewer Ninjas is dedicated to solving your home sewer issues with the latest no-dig sewer repair technology to minimize cost and disruption. They can repair your sewer lateral line with minimal intrusion, saving you thousands. When you need help, turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give Sewer Ninjas a call. 414-250-8605. Once again, that's 414-250-8605. Find out more at SewerNinjas.com. All right, so the Brewers took one on the chin yesterday in a heartbreaker of a game that went 13 innings. They lose to the Yankees 4-3. to The Brewers had one out into the 11th inning. They were throwing no-hit baseball, a combined no-hitter at that point, and then they exchanged a couple of runs between the Brewers and the Yankees, and as I noted, the Yankees come away with a 4-3 to victory. Now that leaves the Brewers 79-63 and on the season. It gives them a two-game advantage right now over the Chicago Cubs, and the Chicago Cubs, after really struggling against the Arizona Diamondbacks, now head to Colorado in what should be an interesting matchup there. So we have the potential to see both the Brewers and the Cubs, who will wrap things up, will wrap the regular season up playing each other, fighting for the NL Central here down the stretch. If the Brewers can win their remaining series, if they can take two of three or three of four, depending on how the series is set up, the Cubs would have to go something like 23-1, and 25-2, something in that area in order to surpass. So the onus right now is on the Chicago Cubs. The Brewers need to just hopefully continue to play ball the way they have. We've seen the offense really start to come to light a little bit here down the stretch. Uh, we, we've talked at nausea almost as far as baseball being a marathon and not a sprint well now you're down the home stretch and so even in a marathon there's that extra kick once you get past what mile marker 23 24 as you make your way towards the finish line well that's where we're at right now so the brewers hopefully can find that extra gear that they have seemingly found in the last few series to wrap the regular season up What I like about the fact that we're looking at a two-game advantage over the Cubs is that you've got competitiveness coming down the stretch. Remember a couple of years ago when the Brewers were up over everybody in the NL Central by, what, six, seven, eight games, if not more, and we started resting people, trying to get people healthy to make that playoff run, and then we looked flat. We knew we looked flat. Wrapping up the regular season, didn't really care. We had some guys playing ball that normally wouldn't be out there as starters or getting significant playing time. But it never manifested trying to get those guys healthy into the playoffs and making any sort of deep run. The fact that the Brewers are going to have to be competitive all the way down the stretch to me is a blessing in that it's going to keep their mind sharp. It's going to keep the competitiveness within them going. There is no time to rest. 
even if the Brewers won every single game here down the stretch, the likelihood is that the Cubs are going to win a few. And as far as the division goes, they might win it a day or two or three earlier than they may have if normalcy is what we're basing things on. Just the fact, though, that they have to be competitive down the stretch, I think, bodes well. Because if they can continue to do some things offensively, the pitching staff has shown that they can keep you in games. And when this team hits the ball and scores runs, they they have been magnificent. The problem is offensively, they've been a little erratic un, until as of late. So again, if they can keep this momentum rolling now as we're in September, heading towards October, I kind of like the Brewers' chances. Now how far do they go? That will remain to be seen. That will remain to be seen as far as how matchups and and how the brackets get, you know, put together once the regular season is done. But boy, oh boy, if if they can just continue to keep grappling the way they are, I like the Brewers' chances as we head towards postseason. So that's going to wrap it up uh, as we make our way out of here for today. In our next episode, I want to talk a little bit about Big Ten football, Mel Tucker. Uh, being relieved of his duties at Michigan State with $77 million still on the table because of allegations of sexual misconduct that were brought uh, against him. Uh, you saw Pat Fitzgerald getting uh, released earlier uh, this summer because of things that took place at Northwestern. Got some interesting, uh, interesting takes when it comes to the Big Ten. We'll talk a little bit about that on our next episode, as well as obviously Packers, Brewers, Badgers, you name it, we'll cover everything here in the 414. Thanks again for checking us out and listening. Much appreciated to you. Go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button. I'm Don Wachillis. Have yourself a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.